0: Study time now, and so we officially switch from private mode to public mode because we'll record this from now on, and then the rest of our discussion tonight will be played on the podcast, and so it's helpful for those who can't come. And um, so we are addressing another hard saying of the Bible, which is interesting to me because it's a hard saying that is somewhat related to the one we talked about last week. But it's also clearly self-identified as a hard saying, right? So in John 6:60, 6, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, "This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So don't look it up in your Bibles yet. Does anyone know what is the hard saying? Does anybody know, just off the top here, one, two, three, four, five, six hands or so? What is it? Yeah, so Jesus has just got done saying basically what sounds like um, cannibalism, right? And unless you participate in cannibalism with me, you can't be part of me. So let's back out a little bit from the context and see what that, the previous statement was. And so Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus is, um, we're going to meet him tonight if we go through this text carefully, and He's gonna do that thing to me that he often does and that is I get embarrassed for him I, f- I feel like I would want to counsel him to back off to listen to the PR agent you're not you're not helping people who are not understanding you you're making it harder so that's my natural inclination and yet I need to understand that he's Lord and master and he has, the right to do this. And so he leans into the confusion about him and seems to make it even more confusing. Or not, right? Maybe I'm the one who's not catching what needs to be done. So I would like to, if you give me permission, to read the whole part, the whole storyline, again, to get a broader context and go through the the whole line of the story. So... It starts in John six twenty five, and this is after Jesus had fed the 5,000. So they were looking for him in one of the Gospels, I might even be John, that says they were looking for him to make him king by force. They liked what Jesus was doing, and who wouldn't, and a person who can just feed everybody out of nothing in the wilderness is the right kind of guy to have in charge of your government and your everything else in your life right i mean that would be talk about uh welfare programs he could just pull it out of his pocket there would actually be giving and spending without any inflationary impact how's that so this is an attractive thing to them and they also were um moved by his teaching. So they're really attracted to Jesus and they were looking for him and said, Rabbi, when did you get here? So I think this also was the time we walked on the water, maybe? I don't remember for sure. But anyway, the context is all that's going on. So he said, Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God has placed His seal of approval. So, what is Jesus's first point to them? What is He? How would you summarize? What is Jesus trying to tell them in this very first? What What's the big idea of this paragraph? What are some of the things he's saying?
1: Well, if I was going to do it, I would say that they shouldn't go for food that's going to make them, let them eat something that's going to make them hungry again, but go for something that you will never hunger afterwards, after eating it, um, which is with a question, what is it? And he kind of indicates that it's, it's him that, that will give life, and if you take, partake of him, you won't get hungry.
0: Donna?
2: I think this is another one of the passages where he's using a literal thing that they can see and touch, but it has a double meaning. It's symbolic also. It has a spiritual meaning, and I think that will lend itself to what he does later on.
0: Okay, so he's using... What I, is this a metaphor is that what they call it uh, in, in literary structure a simile is when you say just as when you actually use the word just as but a metaphor is when you just say you know I'm the bearer of this house that's yeah, a metaphor okay so Jesus is using a metaphor and he's what's he what's the meta there what's the metaphor for what's he the big idea I think John hinted on what it is to It's not the food issue. He's trying to pull them out of, quit thinking about your body and think about something that's more important here, the spirit, right? I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs are performed. So I'm getting the impression that they should have been looking for him because of who he is as demonstrated by the signs. You needed to look for me because what I showed you of who I was but you're looking for me because you had f- your loaves and you had your fill. And so he says don't work for food that spoils. That's that's temporary, transitional. You need to look for a different kind of food that's unto eternal life. And I can give that to you. So he's trying to have them leave their um their earthly mindedness, right? They're so they're so temporal. I am so torn up Prone towards this blindness of seeing life just in this dimension, and then he says he describes himself with this on him, the Father has placed his seal of approval. If you ever, what other parts of the Bible does that remind you? Where did, where did the Father place his seal of approval? I mean, it almost sounds like the good housekeeping seal of approval, right? Where did he ever hear that? Did I see your hand? No. Did you raise? Okay. Where?
2: Baptism. At Jesus' baptism.
0: All right, so at the baptism, this is my son whom I love, and him I'm well pleased, right? Or you are my son. Is that what you guys were thinking of over here? So, so Jesus has had the seal of approval of the Father. The Father has demonstrated his, the Holy Spirit descending on him and sealing him with this. So, so it starts out with, quit being so temporal-minded. Look at who I really am. And I have something to give you that's more important than this time and day, more important than your stomach. All right, so I'm so far so good, Jesus. You're really doing well. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So that'll preach, right? That's a really good funeral text, right? That's a super good passage of scripture. The one time God was asked, Jesus was asked, maybe not the one time, but this particular time, God, Jesus was asked, what do I have to do? What's the work that I need to do? And he answers very clearly, there's only one work, and that's just to believe, which is really not a work. It's just a disposition of the heart. You believe something. So they asked him, and I, I think they're leaning into resisting this almost in the same way that the guy who came to Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love your neighbor, <clears throat> love the Lord your God, and then your neighbor. He asked him, I said, how do you read it? And he said, love your Lord your God and love your neighbor. And then, and Jesus said, go and do that. And so he tried to defend himself and, and look for a caveat. Well, who was my neighbor? And so I think there's this sort of the same kind of sense here that Maybe the, the people are asking Jesus, what, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? So how can you prove to us that we're, the, you're, we're supposed to just believe in you? Do you see the sort of irony of this? Because I just read that they were looking for him because of the signs that he had done. So what are they asking for again? Right? Why are they asking for yet another sign when he would already given them sign and he even said to them, You're coming to me not because of the signs that I did to, to prove you you're coming because your belly was filled. So they're what happened? What what is going on in our hearts when we do this? What is this? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. Okay. So it's it's really when it boils right down to it, is we just don't want to listen and our eyes are closed. Our hearts are hard. Somehow we just can't. It, as I read this, it seems so simple, so clear what Jesus is saying. And yet they lean in so fast to their own defense. Their pride wells up in themselves and, and they throw it back on Him. Well, give us a sign to prove it to us. And what will you do? So Jesus continues. Whoops. <clears throat> he says, Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus is trying to answer their question. Oh, that's them? Okay, thank you for catching that. What will you do? Our answers ate bread in the manner. As it written, he gave them bread for us to heaven to eat. And so then Jesus replies to them. So yeah, that's a good catch. Although I think Jesus could have quoted it too and be all right. Right. This is a... Thank you, Becky. Um, I lose when I split the screen like that, right, so I had the one verse started with the quote marks there, the last paragraph, and then on the next screen it's different because we're limited to how much we can get on a screen. But it also points out that the original text doesn't have any quote marks. And so we infer the conversation from context, and so I think it does work better to have this being said by them. So the people who are saying, what will you do? Our ancestors ate man in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So if you're going to be the new Moses, what are you going to do? Aren't you going to give us bread from heaven to eat like Moses did? I suppose that could be the argument, right? Does that make sense? So they're trying to be biblical in their critique of Jesus, which, again, is part of our unbelief structure often. Anyway, so Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. So he's addressing their argument pretty well, right? They wanted him to be the new Moses. And he says, it wasn't Moses. That's not the way. It was my father who gives you bread from heaven. And by the way, I'm talking now about the true bread from heaven. So he's, he's using their references to pull them back out of, you got to quit thinking about an earthly kingdom with a Moses-like leader and a bunch of bread every morning, the manna that you read about in the Bible, and you always wonder what it tasted like, and now you, 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 I came, I showed you who I was, and you want that same kind of thing. You want to go back to the wandering in the wilderness kind of thing. And I'm telling you, there's a different... It wasn't Moses. It was my father who gave you the bread, my ancestors, and it's my father who's given you the true bread from heaven. So again, he's trying to use the metaphor... That there's a different kind of bread. There's a different kind of sustenance. There's a different um, reality to be focused on. Are we with it together? Is that, um, are we on page? Anybody have any observations so far? I, I don't want to lecture, but I also want to, there's a lot of material. So, so here we are. So then he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So what do you think that they're thinking? They're very hungry. <laughs> Joel says they're very hungry. Yeah, yeah, hang on, Doug, let me get the mic to you. I, I do, though.
1: I think they wanted a quick fix. They wanted something. They, they wanted the kingdom right then. And they wanted something they could touch and feel and make them feel empowered. And Jesus obviously is telling them to look not just to the immediate future, but to the eternal.
0: That's a good way to say it, Joel. Hang on.
3: I don't have an interpretation, but it reminds me of what the Samaritan woman when Jesus was talking to her in John four, I'm the living water. I can give you water that you'll never be thirsty. Sir, give me this water that I would never be thirsty, and never have to come here to this well again. So it just it, it's I think the responses and maybe the heart of the response is very similar.
0: Yeah, that's good to see that John does the book of John, the Gospel of John is literary. Genius. There's all kinds of intertextual references and symbols like that. John is quite the writer, really, under the influence of the Holy Spirit for sure. I think that Doug, what you had, you have it right. And this is so. This speaks to how we are so often with Jesus. Is we want Him to do it the way we want Him to do it. We want Him to serve us. What do I have to do, Jesus, to get You to serve me? the way I want it. If I do my thing, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot, Jesus, just as long as you keep me healthy, wealthy, and wise, or, you know, you keep my kids happy, or you, you help, you know, my marriage to go well, you know, just give me this job promotion. I'll even, you know, I'll even be sad once in a while for, you know, this sort of a, somehow, if we can get God, and we want, we often try to form Jesus in our own image, our own thinking, We what we want him to be. And so it, it makes sense to them when Jesus says the words, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, yeah, give us that. We're all in. And I, I'm afraid they don't understand yet what they're asking for. And in some ways, the woman at the well she wanted that water that she wouldn't have to come back to the well all the time, but Jesus was talking about a deeper kind of satiation and satisfaction. Are we still, is there any other insights? I don't want to leave you out of the conversation. Becky?
2: The com- comparison to the woman at the well reminded me that the re- one of the reasons she didn't want to come back to the well all the time was that she, she was ashamed and didn't want to be with the other women, right? So and she wanted to be satisfied so she's asking Jesus give me this living water thinking it's something small and she's not asking for enough right like or she's not expecting enough what God's going to give her what Jesus is going to give her is much better than water that just means she doesn't have to go to the well anymore he's going to actually remove her shame entirely and so with these people talking to Jesus they said give us this bread so we'll never be hungry anymore and he's like I'm going to give you something so much better your spirit will never be hungry anymore so it's like a kind of like a misunderstanding of how big what God is giving us is
0: It's almost like a, a bait and switch the other way around, right? It's a bigger blessing than you are asking for. You don't even, if you were listening to me, you would be asking for something that would give you eternal life. Yes. There's
4: one little word there in the last. It's
0: a, always, it says, always, they didn't want it just then.
4: They wanted it all the time. They, they weren't satisfied.
0: It yeah, that's a good point. They, they wanted it always. Always give us this bread. And so they wanted to establish this supply chain kind of relationship with Jesus that he would meet their needs according to their desires. Yeah. Okay. So let's keep going. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. So when you were asking for me to give you this bread, guess what? It's me, not something that comes out of my hand. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All whom the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. So there's some deep things in there. What are what do you what do you see in this this screenshot here? What are some things? Help us unpack that first part, and then we'll talk about the second part in a minute.
3: Just a question, and then a st- well, a statement, and then a question. Jesus pretty bluntly says who he is, because he he in the first set of red letters that I have, he talks about the Son of Man. The Father has a seal of approval on him, and then he talks about the bread of heaven, and now he just says, I am the bread of life. So he's got like three steps, and he just gets a little bit more blunt, a little bit more direct each time to this point, I am the bread of life. And that just made me think, because there's narratives or stories where Jesus is loath to or slow to identify himself specifically. Like when he heals people, hey, don't tell anybody about this, or, but is that a distinctive of the book of John where Jesus self-identifies clearly and often? Because I can think of John 1, John 4, John 6, John, um, the way the truth and the life is from John. Yeah.
0: I do think that um, John, as the gospel, compared to the other three gospels, or the other of the four, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three, um, he is more into Jesus' teaching about himself and the spirit, right? So we get more content that we don't see anywhere else. And so I would say that the other gospel writers didn't include this content for different reasons, but it, and, and then John, as a literary device, is using the I ams. And so there's a, several I ams. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. And in even in the garden when they say they come to arrest Jesus, he, he says, I am he, and they fall back. And I think that's in John also. So the, the point is, is, and he's in the Greek he's using ego ami, which he's saying I am, I am. It's a double, it's a redundant use of the self-identifier. So he's on purpose, many would say, John is on purpose leveraging what he said in John chapter 1. He in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So he's claiming for himself God's own name. And even in one of the arguments with the Jews, I think it's chapter 8, before Abraham was ego, a me, ego, I, 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 I am, I am. Yes, so it's ego, that's the ego, it's the word ego, like we got, like Freud uses from the Greek, right? Ego is the self, and then a me, e, it's E-I-M-I in English, I think if you transliterate it, is I am. So it's a double use. Uh, either he could have said ego, the bread of life, a me, the bread of life. They would have both been equally translatable as I am, but he says I am, I am. So it's a pretty deliberate literary device to prove or to demonstrate that Jesus is leaning way in on I'm Jehovah. I'm God talking to you. I am Yahweh. So that's powerful. <clears throat> and part of what happens is John is so complex and so full that we capture these phrases by themselves i mean i bet you that's an instagram verse right people's i'm the bread of life and but you you lose the context that they're arguing with him about how are you going to give us food every day and so it's it's important for us to try to keep the whole context together all right whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty i starting to wince a little jesus you're not being very clear because you're not really saying that I'm never going to be hungry, or you're not really—you're also not really saying that you're never going to be thirsty, are you? Because you know elsewhere you say, "Blessed are those who hunger, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." So, are you saying that if I become a follower of you, that I'll never actually experience hunger in my body again? No, he's not saying that, right? But he's—he's—he's he's, he's entering into—he's pushing the metaphor. So where it's getting complicated, do you feel that or is it just me? Do you you sense that eh, you're getting confusing? I don't get it. I don't follow you very well. Couldn't you just explain with a footnote? Like, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And I'm talking about spiritually he doesn't. He doesn't explain himself. I'm one of the kind of person that has to tell a joke, and if you don't laugh hard enough, I have to explain the joke to you, make sure you understand it. Right? I inherit this from my sister, and so, um, so the point is, is that that's. I don't know what else to say other than he's starting to say things. He's pushing the metaphor in a way that's not drawing people. It feels pushing people, and this is hard for me but I think good for me to realize that Jesus is okay talking this way. All right. And then he says again, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And so he knows that they have not put it all together yet. They're not believing him. Because if they knew who he was, then this would make sense. I think that's part of it. And then he says this incredible statement, all whom the Father gives me Will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So this is the whosoever will of the Bible, right? Anyone who believes will never be drawn away. There's nobody who will come to Jesus and say, I want to be saved, and he will never drive them away. So nobody could ever say, you know, we talked last week about how deep God's purpose and election was so that it be by grace, not by works, and all that stuff. And yet he also says the Father gives them, will come. And so it, I almost wonder, as I think about it right now, if the footnote for me is, hey John, quit worrying about how confusing I'm sounding, the Father will help them get to me. And he'll get them to this where they understand me. And so you can trust me, you can trust the word, just like it worked in your life, you'll get to this spot if the Father gives them to me, they'll come. So there's this... Both and, right? The sovereignty of the Father. He's going to give them to Jesus. And he will never drive them away. And so that's kind of neat. To think that you and I are gifts from the Father to the Lord Jesus. So that's in this context. So the, the, now the, we've got two threads going on. We have this super powerful metaphor that he's the bread of life. And we have this realization that people are not getting him but also we got this new thread that it's a sovereign thing if you get it or not get it. Okay. Four. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So I would say that those sentences confirm what he just said in the previous one right all the father gives me i will never drive away by the way not only will i not drive them away i will do the will of the father and they will not be lost i will never lose a single one of them and i'm going to raise them up at the last day so if you were there and you were listening well you'd catch on that he's talking about something way deeper than food and drink and he's talking about eternal life kind of things Anybody feel uh, have a contribution to make right now? I don't want to, again, leave you out of the flow here. You good with where we're at? Okay. So then the next part is <clears throat> For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So he just got done saying, right? In the previous part. Um, for I have come to down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me. I'll lose none of them, and my Father's will, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Again, saying that statement about the last day. So it seems like they would catch on, oh, you're talking about eternal life. You're talking about coming down from heaven and and. And whoever believes in you would be saved. So it seems like the metaphor has been fairly well explained so far. I, I'm getting it, kinda, right? And at this the Jews began to grumble about him and said, Because he said, I'm the bread that came out of heaven, why do they what are they grumbling about? Why don't they like it? They probably think it's blasphemy because He's saying he
2: came down from heaven.
0: I am. I am, which to them meant God. Yeah. So part of their rejection might just be, "Is who do you think you are? Right? We are monotheists. There is one God and only one God, and he's God, Yahweh, in heaven. Who do you think you are? So the fact that Jesus is so bold about himself may be what they're grumbling about. Is there any other ways to interpret the grumbling? Any other thoughts about it? Um, Yes, Marie.
4: They might be going back to the original thinking. We thought we had um, Sugar Daddy here. (laughs) Uh, You know, they really meant they wanted bread that he had been giving them.
0: Yeah, maybe that's precisely it. Is Here they are trying to get their immediate, temporary, temporal, this world needs met and Jesus is messing them all up and getting all eternal on them, it's sort of like they're saying, come on man, quit getting all into cosmic thing. We're just talking about the city of, you know, the, the Lake of Galilee here. We just want, you know, fix me now. I don't want to deal with those ultimate things. That could be part of their blindness.
2: I was thinking in the parallel passage that's in Matthew, they're Jesus has been going out and teaching and preaching, he's been healing all these people, he's brought people back from the dead, he cast out demons. There's the story of him feeding five thousand men, plus women and children, in Jewish territory, and then a few chapters later he goes and he does the same thing in a Gentile place. And after all of those things, the Jews come and they say, Well we want a sign. Like, how many signs do you need? And that's where in Matthew, he says, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Because they just, they just were blind, and I don't know if they wanted to be blind, if they just fought trying to accept that this guy from Nazareth could actually be the Messiah, or, or, or how, but I don't know. How many more signs would you have given them? What more would you have done to be able to show them who he really was?
0: There were if i was there and i was one of the pharisees and i would have i'm sure that we would have had conversations and they would say doesn't it drive you nuts the way he he's talking about himself and who he is and they would rehearse for themselves this line of reasoning there cannot be a, the Messiah cannot be God; it could not be what he 's claiming to be God, so we know right and he 's not from bethlehem he 's from nazareth, so we know so they keep reinforcing for themselves all these reasons to reject him and, and to turn away from him and they, their reasoning is sound, and yet they 're completely blind to the actual realities that are going on, and they can 't even hear the words and yet uh, a a person who 's uh, a sinner, they heard it and understood it way easier. It was easier for them. So there's something about we can be so steeped in our priors, and our way of thinking, that it blinds us to even obvious statements like this. And, and it almost seems like the more obvious Jesus becomes, the more obtuse he sounds. Is if your spirit is not willing to have him be your king if you aren't leaning in wanting him to be your king, then you, we, I find reasons to reject him. I'm just too good at it. I'm just too good at arguing and not liking it. And, I, and I, it scares me about human nature. And I, it, It's one of the most frustrating things about the rest of the people in the world. I know I'm not crazy, but some people out there are. <laughs> right? And it freaks me out how they can think so strongly about something I feel so differently about Wait, maybe I'm the one who's messed up. And so this, this thinking of not accepting, you see, God's got to do something to open our eyes. And um, so let's continue. We're running out of time. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Joseph, Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father, father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So they just they go back to some, um, some standpoint, some truth that rules it all out for them. And so instead of listening to the clear implications of the bread of life himself speaking to them, who just proved who he was by feeding them out of nothing, they go back, no, it doesn't fit in my paradigm. I'm going to throw you out. You're, you're a son of Joseph and Mary. We, I, know, I know where you came from. You can't come from heaven. And so they, so they let some dogma blind them to the Son of God. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. So he knows what they're thinking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. This is the third time, I think, he said, I'll raise them up at the last day. But he says it again. The reason you're struggling here is because nobody can come to me unless my Father draws them. We're going to look at that verse in particular in a few minutes. But the word draw there is a powerful word. It's drag, compel. No one can come to me unless the Father makes them come to me. You see, you need a work of grace in your life in order to understand who I am. And then I'll raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone has heard the Father. Everyone who has heard the Father has learned from him and comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So again, he's just saying it as clear as you can say it. I'm God's Son, I've seen the Father. Nobody else ever has except me. I'm telling you, I'm the bread of life. And you'll be taught by God, and unless you hear my Father, you can't can't hear me. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. You know, that food you want so bad, it's not going to, you're going to, they had it, but they still died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which people may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. And so he he takes the metaphor to another layer, right? And makes it more offensive, but he tells us the real truth even better because what is it? how does he how do we how does he give us eternal life? by giving his body to die on the cross for us. His body has to be the thing that gets broken for us. And unless you can accept that, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so they push it even harder. They miss the point again. And so he leans into their missing the point. And he says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh, the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have to participate in me, or else you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, fourth time. For my flesh is real food, and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. We become one. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I, I don't know how to say it clearer. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So that's the hard saying, right? They. They, they got themselves painted into a corner by their logic and their blindness. And Jesus says, unless my Father helps you understand this, there's no way. He's going to give you, and he's going to draw you. And on hearing it, they said, who can accept it? And the story goes on, aware that his disciples were grumbling. So now his disciples are grumbling. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? If you think me talking about coming down from heaven offends you, wait till you see me sitting there. I'm God, right? And then he explains the metaphor. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. I'm trying to help you understand the spiritual things. This is not about food. This is about me. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So now this is another phrase that the Father has to do it. But it's a different word. Instead, of unless the Father draws, it's the Father enabled them. So we'll look at that. And then from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So his disciples got cut, right? There was, they didn't make the team, not because he didn't want them, not because he wouldn't accept them, but because they wouldn't submit. And Jesus says, do you want to leave me too? Jesus asked the 12, and Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so that's the posture we need to have, right? No matter how frustrating or confusing Jesus gets, and no matter how much he seems to be willing to be confused or confusing to us, we need to admit, where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has the answers. And so you are the Holy One of God. And why and how were they able to say that? Because the Father gave it to them, and he drew them. I want to just look at those verses. Verse 644, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. That word in the Greek is uh, the second one. There's three words that this is, and is uh Nida's way of explaining the definitions. And so it's um, Elkoa, uh, Epsilon Lambda, How omega, anyway. And it means to pull or drag, requiring force because of the inertia of the object being dragged. You have to pull, draw, or draw. Pull, drag, or draw. So it's a strong word. It requires a lot of effort. And then we won't come to the Father unless God does that to our hearts. That's how we are. By inertia, we're so blinded in our sins, we on we ourselves, we don't want to come to him. God has to drag us, not against our will, but to drag us to want to come, right? It's our will that needs to be dragged. And uh, other places where the word is used is they could not pull the net back into the boat after they caught so many fish in chapter 21. That's They couldn't drag it out. It was too heavy. And Simon Peter drew, he, dragged, he pulled the sword out of his sheath in John 18. So that's the exact same word is used there. So it's God does something in our hearts by grace. And then the other one, John 6:65, 6, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. That word for enabled is didomai, which is to give an object, usually implying value, to give or giving. So this is the giving of a gift, a precious thing. And it's translated elsewhere, like he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples. So that was, that word didamai. And not one church shared in the matter of giving and receiving except you only, Paul writes that in Philippians. And so this is the idea that Jesus, that the Father gives the gift to his people so that they'll believe in Jesus. So there's two strong words Jesus uses, right? Unless the Father drags them, they won't come. Unless the Father enables them, gives them grace, they won't come. But I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to worry about Jesus' metaphors being misunderstood. It's not through the means of a clearer understanding that you will come to me. I can say words all day long like I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. I saw the Father. I'm telling you who I am. I can prove it with me. All of the evidence and logic in the world will not persuade that hard-hearted person that I am. God has to give me that gift to say, oh, oh, I was wrong. And I have to submit to the Savior. Isn't that beautiful? Because... It shows how great his grace is. And again, I, I'm repentant of being embarrassed for Jesus. He knows how to handle himself. I, I don't need to. Any closing thoughts before John? <clears throat> it's dangerous to get to Mike at the end because you get to close in prayer too probably.
1: <laughs> uh, when I read that one verse where it says that the Father... They won't come unless the Father draws them. It, it changed my prayers for a person's salvation because now, when I pray for their salvation, I pray for the Father to draw them to Him. Yeah, it gives and and it, in a sense, it, it it reminds me that no matter what I do or what I say, unless the Father draws them, what I'm what I'm doing and saying, uh, in a sense does not work unless it has the work of the Father in right
0: them. And the, the other comforting is that no matter what I say or do wrong, can't mess them up, that they won't come. Because even Jesus seems to be enigmatic and hard to understand, and yet uh, the Spirit is able to give life. And so it's really not how clever my presentation of the gospel is at all, is it? It's really how the Spirit works. So. Any others? What was that? Let me, uh, let me give you the mic, Grandpa.
4: One of the thoughts is that their logic was good, but their initial premise was all wrong. Yeah. And then the second thought, uh, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves it is a gift of God. What does that mean? God gives us the faith to believe. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you close in prayer for us, sir? Pardon? Would you close in prayer for us?
4: Our gracious Father, how we thank you for your word, how we thank you for your grace, how we thank you for putting up with us ornery, critters, Uh, you didn't make us this way, but we became that way by our own volition. Thank you for this time of, of reasoning together, of discussing your word. Send us to our homes with hearts that are singing your praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you. You're dismissed.